Welcome back for another week. Our de- learning is dedicated to Yaakov Levi, Lucy Maya, and Rina D. Our full year sponsors, Naomi and Yitzi Hallander, a complete refuah for all Cholim, and especially a continued refuah Shlema for Meira Shoshana Batsara Rivka, their daughter in law, and the Friedman family, Michelle and Gary, in memory of Hannah Malka, Bat David, and refuah Shlema for Rachel Merrill Hinda Bat Miriam Rivka. Our half year sponsor, refuah Shlema for Menucha Tova Bat Shoshana Chava Devora. Our Spotify sponsor for the year, anonymously, a refuah shleima for all those injured in Eretz Yisrael, and the safe return of the chaylim and the chatufim. Once again, a refuah shleima for Yitid Yechayim ben Avi Baruch Kachayav Rachav Yigal Basachol Gita Tila Batya Pachayatov Shemad Ben Elka and Shaduchim for all those in need. We're going to start Perak Yudalit. It is not a short Perak, fifty-two psukim long, and and we have a lot to cover. There's a lot of different stories and a lot of different angles, but we'll try our best. And hopefully we'll keep it within the uh, 45 to 55 minute range. The par- the parak starts off. It's on this day that Yonatan ben Shaul says to his nar, the one that holds his uh, his um, weapons, weapons. Let's go over to the other side. Let's see what's going on on the Plishti side over there. And he doesn't tell his father anything. Perhaps this Pasuk actually is explaining to us the why of the Perak of the story. Uh, we have to understand this, uh, this story as it plays out. There's going to be a divide between Shaul and Yonatan at the end. We don't see that at this point right now. What's Hashem Ever Halaz on the other side? So Rashi says the following. He says, That there is a valley between two mountains. If you look at the picture on the screen, it says, to date, I think one of my better um my better uh, images that I played around with, you'll see there's two mountains. In between the two mountains is a valley. And on the side of each valley, we're going to see that there's there is other stuff going on. I remember, not much, from, from elementary school, particularly to a grade. I remember Baruch Hashem, a lot of stuff that I learned. But often, you're like, I don't know, what did I learn in this grade? I'm not sure. But I remember in sixth grade, we learned this in Navi, and I vaguely recall the my Rebbe drawing at the beginning of the lesson this like valley with these two mountains and all the clefts and the uh, and the 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 nuances on the uh, on the topography of the mountain. Okay, so I tried my best using the technology of twenty twenty four rather than the I don't know, late 80s, early 90s. And so I hope that this is helpful. So what we have is that they're between these two mountains. And the Marie Cross says, Over there, he's pointing to something in a distance and saying, there it is. That's where we have to go. So Yonatan is going to travel with his nar, as no say, he'll have a great distance in order to arrive at this place to uh, see what's going on with the Plishtim. Pasuk Bet. The two stories sit in contrast. It's almost like when you have a split screen in your in your show or your movie or whatever it is. On the one hand, you see this great, this great challenge 
this great risk that Yonatan is taking and what Shaul doing. The Shaul yo shave b'ktzea giva. He's sitting in the edge of giva, tachat harimon, underneath the pomegranate tree, asher b'migron, which is in migron. What is migron? Says the Mitzudas David. It's the name of a place at the edge of the giva. And he has with him about 600 people. That's what's going on. Points out that you have to understand what's going on here. Shaul is sitting between this, in this, underneath this famed pomegranate tree in Migron. He's paralyzed with fear. Whereas Yonatan feels, I have to do something. How can I just sit here? It's impossible. Shaul says, I, I don't know what to do. The Plishtim are amassing a bigger and bigger uh, army, and they are going to massacre the Jewish people. I've got 600 soldiers with me. What am I going to do? Points at the Radah. Why do we have to count it again? What is the purpose? He did not get any more. This is what he got. Even though they, they should have had a huge army, the people should have come and rallied, they're not. And nonetheless, God is going to save them. It's an interesting point to note that Yonatan is on the move. Well, the Shaul is stationary. I think that that's significant also. We need a little bit of a family tree here to understand what's going on here. Achia, who is the son of Achituv. Achituv is the brother of Ikavod. We know Ikavod. Ikavod is the son of Pinchas, the grandson of Elia Cohen. He is the one that is born when the Aron is taken into captivity and the messenger comes back, which interestingly, interestingly, that messenger might have been Shaul, according to the Midrash. He is he is born at that point in time. His father, the father, the grandfather dies. The, the, the father, Pinchas, was also killed. And the woman gives birth and she names the kid Ikavod, that what? There is no Kavod. For Hashem, there is no kavod with the uh, the Aron and with the people of Eli and the Jewish people. So he's the Kohen Hashem. Who's the Kohen Hashem? That Mikra says the Kohen Hashem is the description of Eli. Eli is the Kohen Hashem. But perhaps Achia, perhaps he is also the Kohen Hashem. Now it says the Kohen Hashem is Shiloh, no Seifod. The Kohen Hashem is Shiloh. He was the Kohen of Hashem in Shiloh. Shiloh is probably at this point destroyed. So it's unlikely that the that, that part is talking about a about about um Achia, and rather it's Python about Pincha but Eli. Eli, Kama Kohen Hashem Bishilo, Kama no Seifod. Who is the no Seifod? Achia is the, the one that is no Seifod. He's carrying the Eifod, which probably means, as Rashi says, the Urimitumim. He is the one wearing the Urimitumim. And no one knows. The nation has no idea that Yonatan has left them. Now look what Look what Shaul has at his disposal. He has the Kohen Gadol or some very high leader. This person should be able to give him guidance, number one. Two, he's got the Urim Mitomim. You want to consult? 
You want to know what's going on? Go speak to the aphode. Ask the question. He's frozen. He's sitting. I love the picture of him sitting on that throne that way, on that chair that way, because he, he can't do anything. I think it's important to once again look at the picture. Between these two, between the valleys, or in the valley, between the two mountains, sit two stones. Now you have to get to the other side to get to the Matzav Plishtim. What is the Matzav Plishtim? It's the garrison. It is the It's the Mishmar. The the guards, the Plishti guard, he has to get there. And along the way, there are two rocks. What are the two rocks? One of them is called Botzeitz, and the other one is called Senet. Famous names, meaning for us, it doesn't mean anything. But for people back then, they were like, oh, right. Right, I know. I know what, what that rock, what, what rock we're talking about. That was the famous valley. One of them, one of them is to the north and one of them is to the south. Now, the, the way the picture looks, you would assume that it's east-west, but it's not. It's north-south. You have Michmas, you have Geva, and they're like that. And they're starting in one by Michmas, and they're going down towards Gava. Yonatan says to his nar, the one that is carrying his kelim, the one that's carrying his weapons, He says something incredibly profound here. He says, first of all, let's go over to the matzav Let's go over to the other side. He doesn't call them the plishtim. He calls them the arelim. That's number one. Two, he says, what's the big deal? God could save us. It doesn't matter to God. Ain matzor. There's no mini'ah. For man, there are limitations. I could only do so much. I could only live so much. I'm only so strong. But by God, not the case. God can make us win, even just the two of us. Why does he say, call, why does he call them the Arelim and not the Plishtim? I want to share with you a beautiful, beautiful idea by Rav Yigal This you see, you see this in our day. You see chayalim doing things that are, they're chaser. They're illogical. But Amuna does it. He doesn't see plishtim. If he saw plishtim, he'd say, oh my God, this army is so powerful. He sees uncircumcised people. This is not just a war. It is a break. It is a separation. It is a conflict, a battle between cultures and between faith. The concept is that God does war for us. God is the one that makes war for us. 
and God is the one that saves us. And nonetheless, Yonatan makes signs. He says, if this happens, then fine. If this happens, then that's fine also. It is so very interesting that Shaul's story also begins with two people traveling, him and his nar. And yet there is one crazy difference between him and his nar looking for his donkeys and Yonatan and his nar looking for salvation by the plishtim. Yonatan leads his nar. Shaul is led by his nar. I think that it's important to note as we learn this parak that there's a great divide. There's a great divide between Shaul and Yonatan, and we're going to see it. We're going to see it a lot. But we have to understand that within this divide, within this concept, is leadership in, in two forms. At its finest, perhaps Yonatan, and maybe not so much the finest in a different case. He says, do whatever you want. I have your back. I'm totally behind you. That shows great faith in, in Yonatan. That he says, I'm willing to do this. Yonatan is going on a suicide mission. And yet the Nara says, I, I got your back. What are we going to do? We're going to come to this place. That's right. We're going to come to this place. And we are going to reveal ourselves to the Plishtim. And now he says, "I want this is the test. Of course, the question is, can you test Hashem? If they say, stop! Until we, until we come to you, we'll stay where we are, we will hold our ground, and we won't go up. But if they say come up to us, then we will go up because Hashem has put them in our hand. And that is a sign. Interestingly, the idea is Allah. We will go up. The idea is that if we we're getting the symbolism here, that if we go up, if we're told to go up, we are going to win. Now the question is, can you, can you test Hashem? Now, I, I found some fascinating things on Google. The 10 most common superstitions. Interesting things. Things like Friday the 13th is unlucky. The groom shouldn't see the bride's dress before the wedding day. New shoes on the table is unlucky. Never heard of that one. Touching wood is lucky. Breaking a mirror will bring seven years of bad luck. Walking under a, a ladder is unlucky. Finding a penny on the floor is lucky. What's the deal with that? There's no logic in that. Meaning... If I op- if I touch wood, how does that help me? I walk under a ladder. How is that bad for me? This question is, can you test Hashem? It's an important question to understand. And did Yonatan do anything anything wrong here? Now, the Rambam, quoting the Gemara and Chulin, seems to say that Yonatan actually did the wrong thing. It seems that way. The, the Mepharshim on the Rambam go to town, say, it can't be. How could you say that? And the Kasef Mishnah says 100%. There's nothing wrong at all. That's what he says. Let's take a look at the, an idea by Rav Yigal Ariel. Rav Yigal says the following. He says, 
יש לך לקו הבדיל בין נחש ואין סימן והוכחה רציולנית. Let's take a look at the difference between a sign that's rational and something that makes no sense. Walking under a ladder is unlucky. Why? What, what difference does it make? I understand it's a tight ladder. There's someone on it. It's going to be unlucky if you knock the ladder down and the guy's on it is going to come tumbling down. But stand to walk underneath it. Why is it unlucky? It seems like you just, we're, we're making things up. But what if I say, listen, you know what? I'm going to get to the, uh, the edge of the road and I'm going to have to look and make an assessment. If it looks like I go that way. And if it, that might be more rational. My my bread falls out of my hand. Oh, bad news. Or a a deer went in front of me. That is There is a great story that Rabbi Krohn tells. It's worth the extra minute for it. Rabbi Krohn says he was, someone was in the Sadr Kedushin, a big, a big gadol. And he gives the ring is in the hands of the uh, the chassan the chatan. He's holding it in his hand and he's getting ready to say the words. by putting on her finger, he fumbles. The ring falls down. Now, has that never happened? I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's embarrassing. He gets down. He picks up the ring. He he gets ready to put it back on. He fumbles again. That's a lot less common. So now everybody's getting nervous. Maybe this is a sign from God that it is. Not a good shidduch. So the Masader Kedushin said, no. He he got up and said, I want everybody to know. This is not a sign at all. The time wasn't ready. Hashem said that the wedding has to happen two minutes later. If he hadn't fumbled, if he hadn't been butterfingers, what would have happened? He would have been too early. There's a time and a place for everything. The time is right now. The place is right now. Okay. But to say that because this animal walks in front of you, no, that's midar chayamori. Aval halokeh simanim bedavar shasvar machret shem morim to eler adaber misko in zanachash shkolis keolam kachin. Meaning, if I walk into my house and I see things that don't look right, and I say this is a sign that I shouldn't go in there yet, maybe there's some logic to that. The chen Yonatan should be kesh lakot b'machnat lishdim huvan osay kelabil vad lakach siman zeh sheim yom ruei leinu alei leinu. If he says, or if they say to us, "Come on up," yein nir Hashem yireim in marav. It shows that they're afraid of coming down because they don't want to be ambushed. So they're going to watch us. Remember, we're going up the hill. The kayotze bo batach Yonatan begevuratosh huvan osay kelav yekuban, and he had faith. That they would be able to destroy the enemy. Two or three people, two or three people could destroy a lot. Okay, so that is the opinion of the of Ravigal. The Ralbag, the Ralbag says, "What's going on?" The, the one that's moving, the one that's making the, the chasing motion, that's the person, says Ral Bag, that's going to win. Okay, so who is the one that's going to win? They're coming up. Plishtim are the ones that are paralyzed. Interestingly, it almost contrasts a little bit, a little bit with Shaul himself. So perhaps we could say the following. 
And this is an idea of Rav Yosef Karo. He says it's not really a sign. There's logic. And they want to find the logic that makes sense. So Rav so Yigal says the the idea that the, the that if they say come up, that means that they're afraid of a, an ambush. Bazak says the exact opposite. He still has to say you have to come up. But he says, what does coming up mean? It means we're, we don't care. We're not even a little bit nervous about you. If they say that we're not a little bit nervous about you, then that's the moment to seize. They're not going to be expecting an attack. They're so confident that they will win. They're not going to be on the lookout for the attack that's going to come. So they they reveal themselves. And the Plishtim say, look, they're those Jews that are coming out of their holes that they were hiding in. The fact that they're using the words Ivrim, it's mockery. They're not anything. Potiphar uses the same thing. Asia's Potivar, same thing. That's how they view them. Ivrim, you're dirty Jews. That's what they say. So they say to them, right? They 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 identify them, and then they say to them, Come on out. And uh and we'll tell you, Davar, we'll tell you something. There is a if you're following along in a Tanakh. Or a Navi, not like mine, you'll see that there's actually a space between those words. They say their words, and then Yonatan is going to speak. The the Dat Mikra explains on the screen that the reason why we have this stop between Pasuk and Pasuk is to tell us that to make a, 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 a distinction between the, the words of our disgusting Arelim, the disgusting enemies of the Jewish people, and Yonatan at Sadiq. But what, is they, what do they say? We'll tell you something. They make fun of them. They say, oh, we'll show you something. We're going to kill them. Now, I actually thought like Veneda um, by, um, by the city of, by Stone and also by um, also by Pilegish um, Begiva. We'll get to know you a little bit. It's really an embarrassing thing, whether they actually plan to doing something so disgusting to sodomize them. I don't know. But what's clear is there's this mockery here. You guys are nothings. So what do they end off this? What, so what does Yonatan say? Follow me. God has put us in. God has put them in our hands. But he doesn't say our hands. Biyad Yisrael. We represent Yisrael. Says that Mikra Velomar Biyadenu. Kilo nilcham Yonatan kileilarato gurato elekte latzil klal Yisrael. He was saying, "This is not about me. This is not my victory, but it's about saving Am Yisrael." Vegam atshuatavov is klal Yisrael. It's Am Yisrael, klal Yisrael's chut that will win this war. The Abar Benel says, "What's going on here? What are these extra things?" Lamrut varim achirim ki im otama darim shnisayin otam behem v'azamim Hashem. That all they said was Aleach, right? Alueleinu, come up to us. And that message, says Abar Benel, explained, since they had used the exact same words, that gave them the strength to know that they would win. 
Pasuk Yud Gimel. Vayalav Yonatan al Yadav, Vayal Raglav, Venosei Kelav Acharav. Vayiplu of Nei Yonatan, Venosei Kelav, Venosei Acharav. They go on their arm, their their arms and their legs. On their belly, they're climbing up. He and his uh, his his nar, and then Yonatan knocks the people down. He he pushes them down, and then it's his Nosei Kelav kills them. It's possible, by the way, that the I didn't see this anywhere, but the the psukim told us in Yud Gimel that there were only two swords in the entire Jewish people's arsenal. Shaul had one, Yonatan had the other one. Is it possible that Yonatan gave his weapon to his nar? He's the Nosei Kelav, after all. He's the one holding his weapons. Yonatan gives him a big push. They don't see it coming. And then, boom, he swipes the sword out of the air and he kills them. Maybe, perhaps. Why is he going on his hands and legs? Why is he on his... his um, why is he squirming as he's going up there? So the the shot of Rashi is with all his power and his and his his energy. It's almost like he's running animal-like on his all fours. That's one possibility. That Nikris has an, another possibility. It's how you navigate the terrain. If you're climbing up a mountain that's really steep, you're going to be on your hands and your legs. I want to suggest perhaps that the way he's going up, they was so they wouldn't perceive a threat. If I have someone who's climbing almost like he's crawling up, I expect that this person is going to pounce on me. Highly unlikely. They kill about 20 people. In a in this amount of space in a field, says Mari Kura. That's how it happens. In this small space, they kill 20 people. The land shakes. The people shake. Everybody is nervous. This is precisely what Yonatan wanted to do. Now, who is the Matzav? That's the guard of the camp. Who is the Mashchit? We had that in Parag Yodgimel. Those are the Gdudim. Those are the, um, the units that are already out in the field fighting. Everybody is 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 uh, shaking, and it is the fear of God that consumes them. Rav Bazak says that this is the most important thing. The most important message that Yonatan wants is that Yeshua Hashem keheref ayin. It can happen with the smallest with the smallest group. One or two people could defeat the mighty Plishti army, but it only happens with Amuna. If you think that you're going to go up head to head, not even a chance. It's illogical. It's irrational. It can't be. But if you believe that God could do anything, then there is so much potential for salvation. It's a very hard puzzle. The Tzofim, Shaul has lookouts. He has guards on a high up place looking and he's and they see Says Rashi, he sees the Plishtim are they're they're moving all around and they're coming towards the Jews. He says to them, Who is missing? And he realizes they take account quickly, and in their senses, they realize it's only six hundred people, it goes pretty quickly. They realize, wait. 
Yonatan and his servant are missing. Vayomer Shaul la'achia. Shaul calls Achia. Who is Achia? Achia. Achia is the Kohen that we had at the beginning. He says, Hagish Aron alukim. Call the Aron. Huh? Call the Aron? Why is he calling the Aron? The Aron wasn't there. What was there? It was the Aphod. It was the Urim Mitumim. Says the Ralbag, which is mirrored by many other Mepharshim, he says, no, he, he's not asking for the Aron. He's saying, ask for the Urim Mitumim that is by the Aron. So we'll know what's going on. Is Yonatan okay? This noise that we hear, is this a good noise or a bad noise? Should we attack the Plishtim or not? What's going on here? So there's two possible ways to look at it. One possible way to look at it is, this is a great thing. He's calling the Aron. Another possibility is, wait a second, the Aron? I don't know. We know about calling the Aron in war by Ailey. It's not such a good thing. So let's look what happens in Pasuk Yud Tet. So he's talking to the Kohen, but he's not done speaking to him. And this mass of Plishtim are coming towards them. And it's getting closer and bigger and many. He says to the Kohen, stop. I don't want to hear anymore. We got to go to war. And it's an unbelievable win. They destroy, absolutely destroy the opponents. It's an amazing thing. The question is, why does he tell him to stop? Imagine you call the Kohen Gadol, you call the Gadol at the door. I need an answer to this hard-pressed child of mine. And then you're like, forget, I don't care. I know the answer. Let's go. This is two possible ways to look at it. One possible way is that this is once again Shoal's problem. He's overly reliant on the Aron. He thinks, okay, I don't know. I'm scared. What am I going to do? But then he realizes, wait a second. The, the mo- I don't have time for this. The moment is ripe. Let me go. Either have respect and wait, or don't ask the Aaron in the first place. But if you consult with God, you have it there. Why are you wasting the opportunity to not listen? This is reminiscent of Shaul's mistake at Gilgal. It's the very end of the seventh day, but he doesn't have the courage. He doesn't have the fortitude to keep waiting. That's one possible way of looking at it. Perhaps you could look at it the other way. And, and we'll see in these psukim, there are several references that make us feel like Kriyas Yamsuf. God says to the, the, to the Moshe, why are you davening? Why are the Jews davening? Just go. Now is not a time for prayer. Now is, now is not a time for reflection. Now is a time for movement. Move. Go. You got to do it. So that is perhaps what's going on here. Let's continue with Pasuk Chaf Aleph. Rashi says there were Jews that were slaves of the Plishtim. And until now, they fought the Jews themselves. But they see that the tide has turned. And they themselves turn, almost become a fifth column against the Plishtim. And all the Jewish people that were hiding in Har Ephraim, remember at the beginning, they went, they went far away, they were nervous. They hear that the Plishtim have won, or that the Plishtim have lost. 
lost. They're they're leaving. They joined the war also. And so what happens? God saves the Jewish people on this day, and the milchama went all the way until Beit Aven. And the Jewish people were nigas. What does nigas mean? So Rashi says, nigas means, It sounds like nigas means that they were um, chomping at the bit. They all wanted to, to fight. The Dax seems to say the opposite. They were tired. They were pressured. Why? Because we're about to see. He says, I swear, I make everyone swear, we will not eat food until night. He says, I, I'm making you all promise that you won't eat. And so they all choose not to eat because they listen to Shaul. Which is interesting that uh, sometimes they can listen to Shaul, sometimes not. So is this a good thing or not? According to Rashi, Nigas sounds good. But according to most, it doesn't sound good. Now, this, this story should sound very familiar. Shaul had a, was fighting a big force, Gedon also. Shaul had a really small Jewish army, Gedon too. He had only, he had only 300, was 600. The Jews are afraid and they hide by both. There's a sign from the camp, except Gedon is the one that goes with Hitpura his nar to get that sign where they talk, he listens and they say, Oh, we had a dream. But Yonatan is the one that does it here. The enemy's attack and defeats itself. The Jews don't do the winning. The enemy defeats itself. The people of Ephraim join in the end. The people are faint and hungry. There also is one other similarity, but with this, there's actually a big difference. Three troops leave the camp. But by Gidon, it's his. It's the Jewish people leaving the camp. By Shaul, it is the enemy that's leaving the camp. What exactly are we supposed to make about of this? Rebazak suggests that the contrast between the two is the key. Shaul is the first king. Gidon could have been the first king. Gidon's faith is rock solid. There's nothing in his mind making him wonder whether he's going to win. God's got this. Shaul struggles. Shaul struggles a lot. And that is a big part of Shaul's problem. But Shaul also says, I'm going to get vengeance from my enemy. It sounds almost like there's a piece here that's a little personal. It doesn't sound like what we want. The Jewish way is not vengeance because of it's personal. But we, it's, it, is that really how we feel? Or is it we, we want the nekama for God? So the people come, and met, this is in Chafei where the problems start. They all come out of the, out of the forest, and there is honey on the, uh, on the, in the field. The people are afraid. What do you mean? We we made a promise. Isn't that amazing? Shaul made them promise they're starving and yet they listened to him. It shows that he had the ability to be listened to. 
But Yonatan didn't hear this. Yonatan had no idea about his father's promise. He takes the edge of his stick and he touches the, the tree. If you actually look at the picture, the honey is in the tree, not in the field. The Targum Yonatan is the king of the Dufsha. That in the in the nest or in the tree, there is uh, there is honey. So what happens? He takes it and he licks it. And Vatarona Einav, his eyes, Vatarona is, or Vataorna, actually, sorry. It's red, Vataorna Einav. His eyes light up. So the one guy turns to him and says, Hello! Do you not know what your dad did? Your dad made us swear that we wouldn't eat anything. Couldn't eat any bread. And the people are like dying. My father messed up. Look what happened to my eyes. My eyes have lit up. I am doing better because I ate. Could you imagine how much more successful we could have been if we had eaten? Yonatan felt that he was right. The man felt that he was wrong. The question is, in general, when you make a promise, if you swear, if you say, I swear, then nobody lechem, what are they allowed to eat? The people, they go from michmas to ayalon, ayalon, all the way by shalavim. It's it's progress. A lot of progress. They push the plishtim halfway out of the land of Israel. But you almost wonder, Maybe Yonatan is telling us something here. What could have been? What could have been if the Jews had been able to eat? If Shaul hadn't made such a silly promise, maybe they could have pushed them even further. Maybe they could have completely obliterated the enemy. And so what happens is they take animals from the uh, from the spoils Says Bakar Uvene Bakarash, he says that they, they committed a terrible sin here. What was the sin? The sin was that they took Otova et Bino. They took a ma'a, they killed a child and a ma and its parent all together. And that's why they're called sinners. They are in such a bad place because they're so hungry. What do they do? They jump on the spoils and they eat things, even though why do you have to kill the mother and the child at the same time? Or they jumped the gun. They brought korbanot, but they ate before the blood was sprinkled. And that's what it says. It's still in the basin. It hasn't been thrown on the Mizbeach yet. And the nation eats the blood. So, that Mikra says something else. He says, mm-hmm. They ate the meat from the place where the neck was shechted. The Ramban is quoted in Vayikra saying, the Rashbam also, that when you eat the blood, or you eat from the place of the Shechita, that's a type of uh, Kishof, it's a type of magic. And they would, they would, the non-Jews, what would they do? They would sacrifice their korbanot to demons at night. 
You rebelled. Look, God has made a great thing. Come on, why are you rebelling against God? Shaul here is that the people have what? That the people have sinned. He says, bring a big rock. He says, bring me, come on quickly, bring me a, a, an Evan. We'll use it as, as a Mizbeach and we'll sprinkle the blood, burn the fats there, and we'll do it properly. Why should we sin? And that's what happens if people listen to him. He builds a Mizbeach Tashem and says, Rashi, what does he mean? This is the first of his Mizbechot that he builds. What happens is an amazing thing. Shaul calls the people and says, no, let's continue fighting. We'll, we'll chase them all night long until the morning. No one will be left. Interesting. So similar to There's a break again of pasuk the emtza pasuk between the word asay and vayomer kohen why that micro points out that they the people are like yeah we're totally good with this let's do it but the kohen says let's wait let's see what god has to say should we go should we fight but god didn't answer them now he gets nervous. Come on, everybody. From all the corners of the people. I want I want you all to come here. He assumes right away that someone has sinned. Who? Who has sinned? And what does he say? He says, I am even willing to give up my own son. If my son is a sinner... I'll, I'll let him die. The Ain Onehu. Nobody answers. Now, why does no one answer? One possible reason why no one answers is because they don't think he actually did anything wrong. What did Shaul do? What did Yonatan do wrong? He ate honey? They don't think that's a big deal. That's how they feel. In fact, the um <clears throat> the uh, it's an interesting halakha question. If you say I won't eat bread. Are you allowed to eat honey? Yeah, you're allowed to eat honey. The, the, the shvua doesn't cover one. But it's another possibility is that they, they're nervous. They don't want to say anything against against him. They're nervous to get between father and son. Let's do this. Jews on one side, and Yonatan on the other side. Do whatever you want. So he says, give us a true goral. True goral. And they do. And it picks Yonatan and Shaul. And the people are off. It's an interesting question why the uh, the goral. And this actually should bring us a little bit back to the story of Achan. Achan and goral. And gorals are really nerve-wracking because you never know. Is the goral going to work or, or is it haphazard? It's Yoshua says he makes the uh, the people he makes uh, Achan recognize that if he is not going to own up to his sins, then the people will, will say this lottery is a joke. All lotteries are a joke, and therefore, when we divide the land of Israel, it's going to be a joke as well. 
says, okay, let's make a lottery to me and my son, Yonatan. Yonatan, and he chooses Yonatan. So he says to Shaul, says to Yonatan, tell me, what are you wrong? He says, Dad, I tasted some honey. Kill me. You already said you're going to do this. He says, I swear by God that Yonatan should die. Now this is crazy because this story should tell it should sound just like Iftach. Iftach also makes a crazy promise. His promise is whatever comes out of my house, I'll bring as a carbon. But the reaction is so different. The reaction of Yiftach when his daughter comes out is he cries. He's so heartbroken. Yes, he won't violate his word. He keeps it. But nonetheless, he cries. Shaul is like, okay, yeah, we'll do this. I swear by God, we're going to kill it. How could that possibly be? The matter goes further and links Yiftach and Shaul with their words. They both messed up. In the end, Shaul gives his daughter Michal to whoever is going to come, having killed the uh, having killed the Goliath. What if it would have been a bad shidduch? What we what seems clear from both Yiftach and Shaul is that their words are reckless. That seems obvious, but why the connection with Yiftach? <clears throat> Says Ramon Bazak. Yiftach's reaction seems natural and rouses our compassion, where Shaul's cold response is surprising. The most logical explanation of Shaul's composure in face of the possibility that his firstborn son would die is that the difference in functioning of the two during the course of war created a certain spiritual rift between them to the point of frustration on Shaul's part. It is possible that here Shaul finds room to reestablish his rule and rehabilitate his public standing, which had been impaired. Shaul perhaps felt a, a little bit of competition from his son, Yonatan. And that is why he's willing to kill his own son. That is very, very very scary, and perhaps it's a little bit of a, uh, of a um, foreshadowing to how he's going to love David like the son, and yet be ready to kill him. They say God has made this happen. Now this sounds similar. Remember, when Shaul wins the war, way back a couple of Prakim ago against Ammon, what happens? The people say, let's kill those people that didn't really rally behind you in the first place. He says, no. Today is the day of winning by God. People use the same argument here on Shaul. And they save him and he doesn't die. Shaul goes up from the plish and the plish and go home. And so what happens, Shaul wins, he goes to war with Ammon, and Edom, and Moab, and Tzova, and the Plishtim, and anywhere he goes, Yarshia. It's a hard word. Wherever he goes, Yarshia. Yarshia seems to be from a bad language, like Rasha, bad. But uh, actually, it means that he he defeats them. Bad things happen to them. Yet why does it use the word Yarshia? Never uses the word Yoshia by Shaul. Yonatan is Moshia at Yisrael. But not Shaul. Why is that? It's a confusing word. It's perhaps sending us a message that there is something deficient, something missing in Shaul. 
and they they beat Amalek and they saved the Jews and the plunderers. So he has three sons, Yonatan, Yishvi, and Malkishua, two daughters, Shema Bechira, Meira, Veshema Ktana, Michal, Meira, and Michal, Veshem Eshet Shaul, Achinom, Achimatz, Veshem Sartov, Iner, Bener, Dod Shaul. He has one wife, Achinom, Achimatz, Vekish, Avi Shaul, Vener, Avi Avner, Ben Aviel. And so who is he? His general is Aviner, the son of Ner, and Kish, the father of Shaul, and Ner is the brother of, um, uh, is the son of Avner, their cousins. And it was uh, it was a tough time. It was tight times that they were winning, and if Shaul saw someone that he thought could help him, he brought him to join his forces. But Alex Israel points out that it's important to note we see the greatness of Shaul, how successful Shaul is in all of his wars. He goes on to win and to win and to win. Okay, the one thing I think we have to we have to look at is to see what is going on here with Shaul. Shaul does some strange things. He's nadarim, the fact that he's willing to let his son die, and perhaps the important thing to note in this is that Shaul does something that just messes himself up. Why does God not answer him, says Rav Yigal? That's the story. He looks and says, what is it that messes us up? Why is it that God has not helped us? Sometimes we look really far to find all the reasons for why we're not successful. But the answer is right in front of us. Did Shaul deserve the word of God? He did not wait for the, the hand of Hashem, the word of God, by, by Shmuel and Gilgal. He says, stop! Why can he see that? Why does he think that now God is going to answer him? This is part of Shaul's mistake. This is part of Shaul's problem. Is that he rushes to things, but he does not give God the due that God deserves. And that is going to be very much his undoing. We're going to see that even more so in the following two prakim, the story of Milchemet Amalek. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining us again. And keep walking in the ways of the prophets.